1: You are now listening to Femme Regard Podcast with Tessa Markle
2: and Carolina Alvarez. Mmm, Fem.
1: Hey, Fem Fam. If you guys have been listening to this current season, you know that a lot of our guests have been recommended by other guests, and specifically a lot of our guests right now have been recommended by our friend Ryan Little, who is a guest on this season, earlier in the season, so go back and make sure you listen to his episode. Oh,
2: so good. What a gem.
1: <laughs> yes, but he has sent us so many amazing people and I feel like this season for me has been so many like specific like tips and tricks that I've learned, you know, because I mean it's like we always learn something from every single guest, right? But like it's been like little like actionable like I can take a note of this and like have yes. bullet points, you know, so yes. which is really cool for us being in pre-production for our film right now. So I feel if you like guys haven't been listening, do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I feel like being in the pre-production phase for Sync, our first feature film, if you haven't heard, uh, we're very <laughs> loud and proud about it. I feel like we're just, we're stimulating all those thoughts and questions as we're in pre-production, you know, going back to one of our guests, Charlotte, shout out for talking about producing and producing tips. There were so many great takeaways There to now like just shot listing questions and now even getting more into sci-fi, VFX specific kind of questions. Um, You'll be getting more gems out of this episode. So why don't I let Tessa introduce our guest? Because yeah, we definitely get into all of that again. And she has just so many great additional takeaways that we haven't yet heard. And I just love that. We love like learning all of that.
1: Yes. So today's guest is Taryn O'Neill. She is an actor, a director, a writer. Like guys, she does everything.
2: She was a pro so many figure skater. Do. I mean, she wouldn't maybe say pro yeah. pro, but she was. She was a freaking like pro figure skater. Yeah, she's <laughs> done everything. I swear. Um, but
1: she basically was an actress and producer for almost fifteen years prior to getting into directing and writing. Um, so she kind of, you know, developed as she was creating things, she was putting on more and more hats, um, and she loves sci-fi, which we love, and she loves just science in general and allowing science to be shared with the masses through entertainment, which I thought was really cool. We get into that in the episode.
2: Oh, yeah. But she
1: has created this group called Sirens, spelled S-C-I-R-E-Ns, kind of shorted, shortened version of Screen Sirens for Science, which they have a quest to champion STEM and climate activism for entertainment. So essentially it's a collective of actresses who love science and, you know, their messages are going to be told through movies.
2: Taryn O'Neill is very well-rounded, very well-spoken. Um, she has such an interesting background to where she, where she got started from. So you guys are really going to enjoy this. I find it's going to be a, uh, hopefully relatable in many ways to many of you. So mm-hmm. definitely get your notepads out too to get some notes on, on some great takeaways and, or your note app. And we hope you enjoy this episode. I, I'm really, really curious about your background because It's, it's unique and wanted to hear a little bit how you transitioned from, you know, growing up, were you into films and acting and just had a love for both the arts and the sciences the entire time. And yeah, just tell us a little bit about your, your childhood and your interests and what got you even, you know, wanting to pursue both essentially.
0: Cool. Um. Yeah, I will do an abbreviated origin story yes. since I'm a sci-fi nerd. Love it. Um, <laughs> originally from Vancouver, grew up as a competitive figure skater. Um, lived in Montreal for a bit. Uh, ended up going to university in at Duke in North Carolina where i was an economics major now i mean i loved that's the I word i was looking whole... for like
2: science and there was another it, economics <laughs> no, <laughs> yes. She, okay yes no
0: and the, the irony of that I, I work in the sciences in a way now is that because i was a competitive figure skater i went to a very um a very limited amount of schooling growing mm-hmm. up so i was at a sports school okay. and science the sciences were always the subjects that somehow got like left off my curriculum mm-hmm. except for like the basic stuff okay. And then when I, I blew up my knees and, and went back to um, sort of regular school before going to university, somehow I like missed taking physics and like physics is like my
2: jam. Yeah, I actually <laughs> loved physics. Yeah, of all the sciences. I'm so sad I never got to take it. <gasps> You would have loved uh, that as a figure uh, skater. All the analogies.
0: Well, exactly, (laughs) exactly. No, it's funny. I have a a skating physics, uh, sort of a a fun little love story between a figure skater and a physicist um, that I would love to write one day.
2: I love that. Uh, Yes.
0: And, uh, so I ended up at, at Duke for, for strange reasons. I, I I wanted to, I always had this sort of dream of getting out of Vancouver and going to like an American school. I had this sort of like fantastical vision of, of this sort of well-rounded, uh, you know, athleticism and, and social life because growing up with skating, I, I had a very limited social life because I was always training. Yeah. Um, so this sort of idealized version of the States, um, so went to Duke and that was a really uh, interesting, uh, great experience but like you know didn't know a single person when i went there and didn't know sort of the university experience what the us university experience would be like Mm -hmm. so i was majoring in economics because i was also very um smart in school like this the good girl smart you know where i was always top of my class and and just got the great grades. And so I'm like, oh, I should be an investment banker or a lawyer, this is what I'm supposed to do. Even though my heart had always been in the arts and performing and I had been in choir and I had been, been a ballerina as well as a skater. Yeah, I loved music, I loved playing the piano. I loved film. Um, I remember so clearly seeing uh, E.T. for the first time. You know, and I loved going to the theater and, and like The Wizard of Oz was one of my favorite movies ever and I would just watch it again and again. But I never thought of it as sort of any kind of a viable career because I had sort of a very um, meticulous look at like, okay, X, you know, A plus B equals C, this is going to be the linear trajectory of my life mm-hmm. so that I can be a success. Um, I had always been very sort of encouraged and um, motivated by my family to like, you know, I never had to take a uh, like home ec or do kind of girly things. I was like a guy. Yeah. Um, and I was treated as such in a way. Uh, and then when I got to Duke, I sort of, whoa, look at this drama class. This looks really fun. Oh, look at this musical theater. This looks really fun. <laughs> um, and so I sort of, on the sly, started to, you know taking classes and, and doing some theater. And I'm like, maybe I can do a minor in it. And long story short, I ended up doing a semester uh, at USC. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, it was the first year Duke offered this Duke and Hollywood ah. program. And the only reason I went was because I didn't get into the Duke in New York acting program. OK. Oh, okay. so all the, the fancy acts, right. the, you know, better actors than I was at Duke <laughs> got into that. And I went to this fledgling like entertainment uh, program and fell in love with Hollywood. I never thought of sort of combining business and the arts with film, that that could be an interesting career. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, great, I'm going to do this. But you know, sort of underneath, I'm always like, I really love acting. I really love the stage. There's just something so magical, as you two ladies know, about performing yes. and connecting with an audience. Yes. And I never, you know, skating was the same way. Mm. I was more of the lyrical skater. I was an ice dancer, so I wasn't as sort of um, intense, athletic. Uh, you know, with the jumps and the right. spins yeah. and the throws. Uh, I was more about the storytelling. Right. And I loved creative writing and everything. So storytelling sort of is embedded in my DNA. And, uh, and so that brought me to LA and I worked on the business side because I was Canadian with an economics degree. So I couldn't pursue an acting career, which in a way was the best thing because it laid a foundation, um, to understand the industry. Yeah, and so I 1,000%. worked at William Morris agency. And then I worked at a, uh, a management production company. So I represented actors. I've represented like writers and directors and actors. I've overheard like crazy conversations with, you know, the biggest producers in the world, you know, when you're rolling call. But my heart kept coming back to, you know, wanting to be an actor. And so I did, I pursued it. And I was back and forth between Vancouver and here trying to get, you know, immigration status. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to do that. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Um, Our Canadian friends say that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You just think as a you know, most people in the States are like, oh, you're Canadian. Of course yeah. you can live and work here. And you're like, oh, no, no,
2: no, no.
0: Yeah, no, that's not
2: as easy go. as you think. <laughs> um, yeah. So you were only and, able to get acting jobs in Canada. And that's why you had to keep going yes. back and forth. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's exactly. Crazy. Until I ended up getting status uh, down in the States. Okay. Um, and so then I was here. But then that that business side of my brain oh. kept sort of, you know, jumping up. And so I uh, got involved in sort of the, the fledgling web series world. And so I produced uh, and acted uh, in a bunch of, of scripted web series when that was just getting started. Yeah, and had it was incredible.
2: That's how Tessa mm-hmm. and I like bonded. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. really? Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, it was such a wonderful community of all these like amazing as you guys call yourself and I am too on multi hyphenate. Like we were all the ones who were like, yes, we're good to act. To produce, to like be the the marketing, you know, <laughs> blogger for this, to run the social media, to like, you know, be wardrobe, whatever it takes, be the sales agent. Like we wore all the hats, yeah. and having the business background, I was really comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that just sort of grew into uh, it was a sci-fi uh, web series that I uh, co-produced and acted in called After Judgment. Okay, and it kind of catalyzed my my realization that I, I loved science fiction. I loved it as a genre to explore the world that we're living in today and tomorrow. Um, and I love, I would always loved fantasy. Like I was going to say know, there's huge heavy fantasy,
2: fantasy, fantasy in your director's reel. I was like, Oh yes. She <laughs> yeah. loves, you love both of that. And that comes from your Spielberg. I think watch, watching yeah. all of that, his influence
0: Um, Yeah, I was a huge Spielberg, I still am a huge Spielberg fan, J.J. Abrams, Mm -hmm. um, you know, those kind of like fantastical, big, bigger than life, action, fantasy, sci-fi driven. Um, And so I started, I started writing, um, and then going down the sci-fi writing rabbit hole, opened up this sort of my smart girl hat went on, and I'm like, let me do this research to make sure the sci-fi is like theoretically legitimate. And I became this like science nerd (laughs) and the science evangelist where I was like, oh, my God, I can understand the world that we live in. And it's opening up all these like incredible stories to me. Like every time I'd read a piece of new research, Mm -hmm. um, I would see story in it. And I'm like, I would see how the the future was going to be affected by it and the stories of that. Uh, And so that led me to form this group called Sirens, which uh, was uh, sort of shortened for screen Sirens for Science. And it was a bunch of uh, actresses who all were, you know, likewise nerdy science fans. And it was really at the time when climate change was, it was, so it was like mid, it was like 2014. Mm -hmm. Climate change was barely in the news. Um, There had been a lot of, there had been this really big uh, debate between Bill Nye the science guy and a creationist. And, you know, I couldn't believe how many people were supportive of the creationist. And I was like, if we're gonna move into like this future, that is being challenged by an upcoming climate crisis as well as technological proliferation we need a scientifically literate population yep. and so what's the best way to like entice people's curiosity about science entertainment yeah and who are the most unexpected uh, champions of of science literacy and science and entertainment actresses, because, you know, we're just vapid and we're silly and, you know, <laughs> we're I'm just like, how oh, yeah. we could be, yeah, we're just pretty, <laughs> um, you know, we can be Trojan horses for science. And so yes. we did a lot of social media outreach, right? When um, Cosmos, the reboot of Cosmos was coming out and it was really effective. Um, and we've done a lot of like different things that, and now sort of my core group, um, we're working more on climate storytelling. So we worked with Arizona State University to do a climate storytelling event supporting um sort of positive climate futures, like not being Pollyanna and being like, no, our our you know planet's not not gonna be affected by climate, but how can we look at through sort of an innovative positive lens of like how sort of these forced changes will will you know induce good change mm-hmm. and change for you know social justice and equality and innovation and green technology and what could a different better future look like
2: yeah. I really um, so love really supportive of the that. positive lens on that because I think a lot of people get turned off from hearing, especially going through COVID and, and the whole pandemic, yeah. it's like, okay, bad news, bad news like after a while it just got exhausting to be like, okay, we have killer bees, the climate Climate's failing and <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah. what else I can handle anymore. Yeah, But we have seen more and more reports about climate change happening, like just all insert it, all different areas of the world. And that, again, it's always just a report on how terrible things are and there's no fix. There's no solution. So I think what you were putting out there is. I, I'm, a, I'm a solutionist or I, I don't even know if that's a real world <laughs> word, but like, I love, so I, like I, <laughs> I love solutions. I, I, I feel like if you're going to present a problem, you always should have something of your own. It's like just, just something to like provide a solution to. And this is like, it, it doesn't have to be the exact answer, but I just love that you're you're encouraging that space to to be shown on screen and for people to understand like there are ways we can we can try to make this better even like we might not be able to fix it i mean that's just the reality like who knows um but i think that that's just a really positive way to kind of demonstrate what's happening out there and like yeah i love that you're finding solutions honestly just like just an attempt at a solution we got to try something (laughs) we got to try now (laughs) thank you so. And,
0: and just presenting an alternate to, you know, it's like being a sci-fi fan. My first sci-fi series was post-apocalyptic. It was bleak. Everyone had died, right. you know, and the sci-fi tropes in Hollywood are that. It's always sort of after the apocalypse. Yeah. And it's like, wait, what if there's another option? What if there isn't the apocalypse? What, you know, like, yes, we are going to have to be resilient. Yes, we are going to have to face some challenges. We already are facing challenges. Yep. Um, But, you know, what could... A different future look like. Nobody is invoking what our future looks like. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we used to have these images in the in the fifties and sixties of what our sort of fantastical future would look like. Everybody was looking forward to flying cars and and Rosie the robot and everything. And now people are like, I don't even want to think about the future. Yeah. Like it's too terrifying. But our 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 gift as human beings is being able to imagine and extrapolate from what we've learned and what we're dealing with to imagine something. Yeah. And, you know, until we imagine that we can't create it. So let's just try to imagine something that,
1: you know, isn't the, the whole world dying. Yeah. So. That's really interesting too. I've never really thought about that, but you're totally right. Like back in, you know, 60s, 70s, like it was a utopia we're picturing for the future and now it's a dystopia all the time. Yeah. That's very interesting, yeah. but that's, you know, like, art imitates life. And like you had mentioned earlier, it's like, what's the best way to make more people aware of what's going on and the opportunity, the opportunities that we do have to hopefully make a better future for ourselves is entertainment, you know? And I think like the conversation came up a lot during like quarantine times of, you know, how important and necessary is the entertainment business, but like It's everything because it's not only providing us, you know, with an escape and with a comfort, it's providing us with knowledge. And it's Mm -hmm. just it's so important. And that's such a great way to get the get the word out there and with the solution, with the positive spin, like you said.
0: Well, from the nerdy neuroscience perspective, our brains learn best from stories I mean, because it activates all the different lobes, so you're analyzing it from your prefrontal cortex, but then you're also sort of, you know, checking in with your amygdala because it's like making you feel emotion. Your hippocampus with your memories are like activating. So it's like music. It's Mm. like, you know, it's activating everything. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and then stories, entertainment is is the best shift for culture shifts and culture shifts then lead to policy shifts. You're trying to think of like, how can stories ultimately make a change? Mm -hmm. It's because people are moved to elect someone or to vote for something or to even come up with, you know, something to push through as policy. So there is literally a linear track to, uh, to having entertainment and stories make a difference. Yeah.
2: I, I just, totally feel like at times it's so devalued and what we do and what we're trying to say and and then it you know at the end of the day I I um I feel like when you're going after it was Tess and I you know are working on our big project and I'm so glad that we're focusing on on messages that were really like we to your point it was so great to really study technology and the way it's advancing and kind of the scary things that can keep happening if we just keep pursuing it at the, the the increase of of advancements and the way it's affecting our mind and all of that. And we really like, I read so many articles on all of that and st- was studying the brain. And it was really fascinating to kind of learn about it more and more, but with more intent and a mm-hmm. purpose behind it and gave mm-hmm. our story more purpose and intention behind what we were doing. So that way it just it it almost um I feel like before could feel so, at your times when you're trying so hard to raise money and stuff feel almost devalued by like oh I'm just trying to make a film guys like and I just feel right. like it gave us that value and purpose and intention and I think that doesn't have to be something so scientific and specific to any filmmaker who's listening, but definitely find your intention and purpose after your story. And because it is important, whatever story, whatever kind, whether it's science or fantasy, there's always something that you're trying to say. So I guess I'm just trying to pull it back to the stories you've told. And for us, it resonates too with the sci-fi we're making because we've been able to find the intention and the message and the value of what we're trying to say. And yeah. that sometimes, like, it's hard to pinpoint at first, but I think it's a really important thing because it really helps you, like, get your message and get your film made, honestly.
1: Yeah. And I think, like, mm-hmm. finding that for us kind of shifted our priorities as well. Like, you know, yeah. we for a long time were kind of stuck on, OK, this is a sci fi with advanced technology. So we have to understand how this technology works, even if we don't explain it in the film, we have to get it right and we had talked to a previous guest on the podcast, and he was like, you know, that's kind of the magic of sci-fi. Like, as long as you're not blatantly saying something that is, like, incorrect of could possibly happen kind of thing, like, you don't necessarily have to know everything behind it. We were like, okay, that makes sense. But because then it was more- a
2: subgenre of fantasy at the end right. of the day. Like, right. Like, if you think it, it can exist. And it's fantastical yeah. in that way. And it's happening. We don't know, the, I don't know the inner workings of the cell phone. But yeah. it's like we're able to talk through a square rectangular device. You yeah. Know?
1: And that shifted, I think, our priorities of it more being about, okay, how is this affecting our psychology as human beings? You know, and that's where mm-hmm. we really like dove into the research there and stuff. So yeah, I think like finding that, like, you know, not only what is the story you want to tell, but why, you know, what is like the deeper meaning behind it? And then everything else kind of flows from there. You figure out what's important.
0: And your, I find too. What is your central argument? Because mm-hmm. we don't want to preach. I think that it, it's difficult. You know, I, I fall into these traps when I'm sort of writing bigger sci-fi stuff, especially if it's climate related. I have to keep remembering. It. It's like I don't have the answers. This is like my own viewpoint, exactly. something I'm passionate about. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully opening the door to questions and to curiosity. And so I think if you have a central argument that two sides can like, you know, it could it's, it could be sort of leaning towards, you know, one theme, one topic, but you're not saying you have the definitive answer. I mean, the best thing coming out of a movie is where you just want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, what do you think about this? Or, or people aren't agreeing. I mean, you want conversation and discourse. Um, for my my first film was that I wrote and directed and was in was a sci-fi very black mirror not fantasy at all mm-hmm. um social media element had an AI camera system uh in it that sort of live edited that you could like voice command it when you were so you were it was based on a it was a live streamer character who was sort of at this crisis of conscious point where she would pushed her brand so far that she was putting herself in physical danger um as a sort of actress who had been like a, you know, kind of action-y type actress and then got into like real fight club stuff to keep her numbers up. Oh, wow. And, you know, her body was starting to fail her and sort of how far was she willing to go to sort of maintain her channel? Mm -hmm. And, you know, her boyfriend comes in and they have sort of, you know, a bunch of different, well, we could do this, you could get pregnant. I mean, like that couple's getting pregnant and you're just like everything for the, what? Yeah. You know? And it's sort of like, what is, what is, um, what is too far and what's not, you know, mm -hmm. for, for the gram, for the, you know, for the camera, for the audience. And, and some people are like, it's, it was wonderful how polarizing it was um, because it just showed that it really pushed people's buttons um, because there was such a difference between the, the character on camera as the, as the influencer, and then the character off camera.
2: Yeah. That's the Um, actual person dealing with the repercussions of it all. And yeah. like what's fun. And the persona versus mm-hmm. like reality. reality yeah. And I, that's definitely relatable. And what's fun in film is to be able to really push those limits to an extent like and show that. Yeah. That's why we like create these heightened realities and circumstances. And and yeah. I think that's so smart. Like you definitely um, want to find that conflict and, and push it as far as you can to show like, whoa, <laughs> what's going on here?
1: Yeah. I think that's a smart approach too. Like you said, it's, you don't just want to preach, you know, people are less likely to listen listen. because they're either already like, yeah, I already know this. I'm already on your side. Or they're just, they feel like you're talking at them and that you think they're wrong and whatever. But like, if you show both sides of the argument and you get people talking about it, they're going to pay more attention. You know, I mean, like my favorite like documentaries are the ones where you can tell which way the filmmaker feels, but they're presenting you with both sides, so you do get both sides mm-hmm. of the argument. You know. Yep, I agree.
0: So yeah, the, I did the short film, and then that uh, it was interesting. Reason I didn't mean to direct it; I never wanted to direct. <laughs> So I'm, I'm a director now. I never mentioned <laughs> Um, I really was just passionate about sort of being the performer and a writer. I had, I have uh, copious amounts of projects and scripts that are in development. And um, I'm, I'm unfortunately always assaulted with ideas that cause me to not finish other ideas. So I'm like, no, go away. <laughs> yeah. Go away. Leave me alone. Um, uh, but this short film I had uh, that I had written that I wanted to act in was going to be financed by Dust by Gunpowder and Sky, uh, and then the financing fell through. And I just decided, because of, of uh, numerous things that had happened, to do it on my own. And I was like, you know what? I think as a sci-fi creator, writer, creator, this would be a great calling card. Yeah. And I interviewed a bunch of directors, and they all had these very sort of they they were lovely, but they just saw it completely different than I had put on the page. That how it was in my head, and was sort of very traditional sci-fi that they were seeing. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine, a really uh Mark Gant, who's this wonderful writer, director, actor, -actor multi-hyphenute from the web series world, like, why aren't you directing it? And I'm like, I can't. It's like I'm directing, I want to act in it. He's like, You can do both. And I'm like, I'm in every shot. Like, (laughs) there's action in this. I'm like, what? Um, there's like visual effects and action. You know, I endeavored to do a lot in my first short. And anyway, I did it. And I just realized that sort of everything from my music background to loving, you know, wardrobe and styling and composition. And then I have a 15 year background in martial arts that I started after I'd stopped skating. And I was like, <laughs> wow, all these pieces kind of fit together. And people were like, this is your sh- first short film. And I'm like, yeah. Um, so I just kind of realized it was, it sort of checked a lot of boxes for me mm-hmm. and that uh, opened the door. And and a good friend of mine who had started uh, her own streaming service and production company called passion flicks um she saw it and she's like i have a series that's like Buffy the vampire slayer it's a a slate of movies i want you to direct them and so i was very very lucky and
1: got my first so i directed two of those movies that's amazing and that's so similar to like our path right now as well because with our current it's going to be our first feature and it's a sci-fi excuse me much more on like the it's called sync yes sync Sync. Uh
0: congratulations thank you
1: And it's a lot more on like the like psychological thriller kind of side as opposed to like fantasy sci-fi because it's just set in the near future. Like it's technology has advanced a lot. So that's kind of where the sci-fi part comes in. But in the beginning, when we kind of had our first like draft of the completed script, we had talked to a possible investor who really just kind of, tore it apart he's like well this is you know the sci-fi model and and you don't have this and blah 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 and you gotta understand this and like we just were so discouraged but that was his view you know and now that we've talked to so many other people and of course I've had many of edits on the script but we're really happy with it now and we're seeing that people are enjoying it and supporting us in it you know so yeah it's really important to find somebody that really aligns with it
2: and and especially as a director the message like because Ours is really a sci-fi thriller in a set, uh, sorry, a psychological thriller set in a sci-fi world. And we just kept saying that over and over again. It's about the human connection and these toxic friendships. Like we're focusing it through the female perspective, like the text there, but it's heightening this Mm talk. It's the vessel of these toxic relationships. And just, uh, yeah, we, every time we, uh, he was one of a couple that just didn't, like understand. And <laughs> I I totally agree. I think you just need to find people who see your vision and support it. And so it's just encouraging to hear also as someone who's going to be acting in almost every shot and directing that, you know, <laughs> you can, I, I was timid about it first as well. And then a friend of mine was just like, wait, we well, are not doing it. And I, cause I've had so many clear you know, writing it and envisioning it and just having all these very clear thoughts, I was like, yeah, it feels a little weird to kind of be like, I won't have opinions on any of, the, you know, a- anymore and the direction. Right. So I'm, I'm really excited and definitely overwhelmed, but excited <laughs> to get into it. That's Is great. there any, um, I'm so
0: glad you're doing <laughs> that. <laughs> <Is>
2: there, <laughs> I actually would love to know about that process for you and jumping into it. Um, just any, a, on how to kind of manage other than having a killer team which I have I have the best team love my team sync team um yes. you know any advice other advice you have when you're kind of toggling between the actor and director brain and I do have an associate director um, coming on board too to like help with with stuff when I'm on camera that's
0: <laughs> That's great. I, yes, I had that. I had a dear friend who is multi hyphenate, who's actress, director, writer, and she was on set one of the days and was sort of my eyes on camera because we just didn't have the time for me to be watching playback. Yeah. Um, I had an extraordinary DP. Uh, she was, uh, I mean, she spent so much free time with me, shot listing before we got right re- before we um, went to camera. She got me this most incredible package. Um, and you know, I always say do as much prep work as you possibly can, and then just go with the flow. Like cool. you could over-prepare, <laughs> absolutely over-prepare as much as you feasibly can. And then you just have to, you know, find, cause you, the moments of brilliance are the, the unexpected. And mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Like, like you, I love
2: that. <laughs> you can't hold on on Yeah. That. Yeah. And trust one of the things like, let's just do this. (laughs)
0: So have your schedule. Um, And this covers all, you know, to any director, I found that, you know, especially shooting my first feature where, you know, it was a million dollar movie and I'd never filmed a a feature before, you know, in New Orleans during the pandemic. After a hurricane, you know, it was just like, it was, there's so much, you know, and a huge, a huge, you know, there was like 200 special, 200 special effects and stunt scenes. And, you know, I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> and I had like a 10 inch flying characters with green screen and rigging. Wow. And like, it was the most incredible, incredible learning experience. Um, as I say, as I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. But, uh, and I know Ryan talked about this of like really going onto set with a clear vision, mm-hmm. So you as an actor and you as the director, just like number one on the call sheet and the director who comes on set, you have a clear vision that you as an actor have an incredible skill to communicate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could have it in your head, but a lot of people don't know how to communicate it properly, you know? And so there's so many ways you can communicate. Obviously you can have a lookbook and you can, you know, have all those shared documents, but you can know exactly what, not just what you want to see but what you want to feel, Mm -hmm. what do you want the scene to make the audience feel? What do you want them coming away from? And I think as actors, we have this incredible ability to like be able to articulate that and, you know, almost communicate it through our own, through our bodies. And so it was really, I knew that I could never replicate um, the, the two books, like El Fantastical and, you know, I would have needed, you know, tens of millions of dollars, but I knew that I could make the audience feel what they felt like reading that scene Um, and so that's really what I went for as opposed to oh I have to make it look exactly what I think they think it's supposed to look like because you can never you know improve upon somebody's mind's eye or imagination
2: hi friends I'm David Berman and for 16 years I performed over 300 fake autopsies on CSI crime scene investigation. And I'm John Wellner, and I too was on CSI for 12 years playing the toxicologist Henry Andrews. John and I are so excited to introduce CS I Love You, a podcast dedicated to all things CSI, both the show, but more importantly, we'll talk to the heroic criminalists behind America's favorite crime drama. So pull up a chair and join us as we talk about murder, mayhem, and mystery. It's CS I Love You.
0: Um so yeah, just as as an actor and a director on set, I'm a Gemini. And so I flipped between my like very business, no emotion, to I'm suddenly a really crazy character. And it was actually fun to be able to flip back and forth because my character was really intense. Shout Um, out to our associate
2: director, Sabine. She's also a fellow Gemini and would be so (laughs) happy to hear that. (laughs) So she'll be my help (laughs) of flipping. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um you know, it's like, and do look at a bit of playback, but just for just for composition, like just yeah. make sure that you have sort of the frame that you want. Try to get a stand in. You need, I mean, you need a stand in pro- to properly light, um, so your DP can do, you know, can do their work, and you can be with your first AD with your associate director. You know, figuring out what else mm-hmm. needs to be done. They can't be really lighting around you. I mean. We, I had like an amazing you know I, I didn't pay her very much but she got a credit and she did get some money and I mean it was uh it was imperative so that's really really important. but yeah just having okay. that clear vision and you as the actor are executing that vision through a character and you as a director or vision or you know executing it through you know everything right, else right.
2: yeah
0: um no, that's super and helpful. just having yeah having Zen patience is really is really important as a, <laughs> as a director I find. Um and trust your gut. You've been on a lot of set as an actor. Mm -hmm. And you know, I I felt like, okay, so I'll surround myself with people who sort of know more than me because, you know, I've never directed before. And the shots that I was unhappy with were the ones that my inner, like my my third eye, whatever it was, was like inner my inner critic was like, This isn't it. No, you should do it this way. Yeah, Yeah, this isn't it. And I was listening to somebody else's um suggestion Mm -hmm. and I I wish I hadn't, Um, but you learn, you know, you learn to trust your gut and that inner voice.
2: um, In a way it's a painful confirmation that you should always trust like what you felt because (laughs) it's like, yeah, one of those things you don't know when you're first starting, you know, in that new role, like, can I trust my gut? Can I like, is this like working? So no, that's well said. And like definitely a great piece of advice to follow.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think just in general, like, directing and being in charge of a project, like whether you're also in it and you're directing yourself or not, like really just trusting your gut because, you know, yeah, maybe you don't know everything. Maybe you're green. So you want to take other people's advice, but like take it all with a grain of salt, you know, because in the end, this is your project. This is your vision and you want to tell the story in the way that you have it in your mind, you know? And so I think that is really important to really, you know, trust your gut and, take advice with a grain of salt and in the mm-hmm. end you're in charge and you have to feel confident in that. And to add on
0: to that, I think just utilizing for both of you your skills as actors to be able to if somebody's is, is a, a contrarian on it, putting them in a position to be empowered. Mm-hmm. Be like, so this is what I this is the vision I have for this specific moment. How can you help me get there? Mm-hmm you know, still and still being a leader, I feel but like
2: collaboration yes. is welcomed here. Like I want you to know. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's because
0: I'm only as a director, as good as every team member, as every crew member. Yeah. So it is my job to empower them all to do the very best job that they can. Mm-hmm. There has to be no ego on set. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's I mean, awesome. I, there's a ton now, like I, I mean, most of my living as a commercial actor working with like the biggest directors in Hollywood. So I've seen the Michael Bay's and the Barry Levinsons and the Coen brothers who are like the nicest people in the world, <laughs> um, oh you know, and it's like, so I've, and the Cohen brothers have no ego, but I've seen ego, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and that runs from fear. And I, I like to say that, um, that's don't have to run by fear yeah. and that Amen. you can get a whole lot more. You can still make your day. You can still command respect. Um, you can just do it from empowering other people and having a very very clear vision that you articulate to your cast and your crew.
1: Yeah. And I think it's so, it just is wild to me on like a psychological level of how much ego is in Hollywood. You know, you hear about these celebrities that are just complete divas and all of that. And it's like, at our level, you just can't have that or you're not going to get stuff done. You know, you have to be willing to like, like we use the phrase, kill your babies all the time with writing and just yeah. like, all, you know, you have to be willing to give that up to create the best end product. Right.
2: Whatever is supporting the project best is like kind of my like mm-hmm. whole deal. Like if this is yep. what, if this decision is going to help and and impact the project in a positive way and get it done, then fine. Like I can drop X, Y, Z. And I've definitely worked with directors who don't, want to do that and make your producing life hell and you're like okay um this is impossible you are gonna like I demand it and it's just gonna ruin a lot of everyone's like reputation of working with you and like honestly just yeah it was it was definitely some tough moments there and I've just like learned thankfully as a producer kind of first that you know, that's Mm -hmm. also been super helpful on the business and just getting things to project management things done. And now for a director, I'm like, okay, like I can have my, I call them my director wishes, but it's like, it's a wish. Like I, I only want to act on it if it's like fitting with our project landscape. So, Mm -hmm. cause I've just, I've seen, (laughs) I've seen it go wrong and I'm not going to be that, not going to be that girl.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) the learning experiences. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry, you've had to go through tough ones, but it's like as a leader now, you can choose not to follow in those in those patterns. Exactly.
1: Exactly.
2: I have a new favorite question when it comes to the sci-fi okay. world. And that yes. is when you are filming something with VFX involved. Do you have any tips on how to properly plan for that? Or even just while you're shooting there, I have just like learned there's like a whole like there's something invisible there that we're working for round And right. for us, like it's going to be very like minimal, more like pop up screens that are there. Yep. But just would love to hear like your take on that as someone who's, I would say, pretty much an expert in the sci-fi realm. Of things. <laughs> you know, we're, we're just oh, dipping no. our toes. <laughs>
0: Definitely, definitely non expert, so much to learn. And I'm very grateful for both my VFX supervisors I had on, on my two movies, which I could not have done the movies without them. Um, the most important thing are, uh, so let's say that you're having like, in my short film, I had a HUD, a heads up display unit um, that was a hologram basically floating in front of my character. Mm. And so um, you basically, you need to get all the lens information to your, so whoever's doing your VFX, they need to know what lens distance, um, you know, from the eye line to where the lens was, uh, what the light was. So basically you need to get as much information as possible. If there's, let's say a heads up lens, you need to have a practical light somehow outside of your frame reflecting on the face that is mimicking what that screen would be doing to that person's face or that eye. Mm -hmm. So we'd have one of those, you know, LED tubes that you can adjust like to a specific color scheme, um, you know, lighting up lighting up my face. Shout out to um, You know <laughs> <laughs> <Quasar> LED lights.
2: <laughs> yeah. We've had them on good. the show. <laughs> um,
0: awesome. Uh I need one for my for my room. <laughs>
2: um
0: so yeah, I mean just basically getting all your you just basically make sure that you um your your A D takes down from the DP all of the um, okay. you know the tech specs Ooh, that's for, that, a good
2: for that scene one.
0: <laughs> and so you just have a list for your vfx person they know exactly what you were you know what you shot how you shot it what was being used um you also really want to storyboard those scenes okay. you need to know exactly um uh, because often here's here's a little trick though something i learned that um so if for some reason you have like um a virtual some sort of a, a you know uh added uh, visual effect that's sort of a three-dimensional thing that has depth of field behind it. Um, you kind of want to adjust your depth of field where it's not exactly like what your your camera lens would, would say. So let's say that you have like I had my character here mm-hmm. and my um oh, so let's say this is my my 10-inch elf character mm-hmm. and this is my my actress um over the shoulder. Yeah. Um, we want to adjust the lens so that it's not totally uh, like what let's say uh, we're in an 85 or something We're you know in a tight shot with them that it's not um, what an 85 would look like we actually loosened it up so we have a little bit more resolution to deal with behind the VFX Mm. um, to give you more uh, adjustments so you can Mm -hmm. always you know adjust the background. If you have more resolution, if you have more crispness, oh, okay. you can des- yeah, you know, yeah, you can yeah. like de-res it a little mm-hmm. bit, but if you don't have that to begin with, because you have a, you know, a wider lens, you can't adjust it the other way. And gotcha. so I found
2: that that is helpful Interesting. To, to adjust. Oh, okay. Taryn. What lens are actually using? <laughs> that is- I love
1: these tips. Like, cause we actually, we just um, had other guests on that had like, um, a similar thing, like, you know, like a pop-up kind of like hologram. And they had given mm-hmm. us the tip of like having the actual light source so that it reflects off of them. Yes. And like hearing them say that, I was like, of course, that's so obvious. But like, I wouldn't have thought of that, <laughs> you know, like. You can do that in VFX. It just costs money. Right, right. But like, yeah, that saves you money. It's like, it's it's already done. Mm-hmm. It's there. It's not a hard yeah. thing to do, you know? So yeah, I love hearing yes. <laughs> these yes. tips. Just
0: and make sure your eye lines for it are really crystal clear. So like if you need to, you know, do a camera rehearsal where you have a, you know, a little ping pong, mm. we would put like we had a mannequin, like a maquette that we painted green that we could paint out if we needed to, mm. you know, in post. But make sure you have a really specific eye line and you kind of know It it can be hard when you're, like, talking to a screen that's not really there. Yeah. But And, like, how your eyes kind of adjust the second you take it away. But you just have to practice it. Yeah. Yeah, that's Like, my actress is so incredible. I mean, she just ran scene after scene where she's literally looking at nothing, having a full conversation. Yeah. You know? That's very true, too. Like,
1: what you just mentioned about how your eyes focus differently. Because, you know... Yeah. A lot of times it's like we just think of eyeline as where are you looking? But yeah, if you're focusing on something in front of you and that gets moved away, your eyes adjust. And if you're in a close up, people are gonna see that. Yep. Yeah. Carolina, I hope are you writing all
2: of these down? I'm
0: literally. <laughs> Good thing you're recording this. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. That's thank true. God. I'm like so
2: grateful. I'm like, oh my gosh, all the tea. Um I uh, speaking of tea to drop, more tea. So thank <laughs> no, thank you, Taryn. That is like like I said, my new favorite question to ask because I'm learning that there are things that seem obvious that you just, our favorite thing in learning, cause we didn't go to film school and we've just, this whole journey for us is literally like learning the questions that you didn't know you needed to know before. And yep. and then yep. now I feel like I can, I'm more empowered to like ask as I, I continue on. I'm like, sorry, I don't know exactly the technical, way of asking this but yeah what is it that i can do to better prep for those scenes and and learning just i'm talking to my vfx guy at work and he's like yeah you know, you know static keeping the camera static i think is the best thing like, yes 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 Yeah, like
0: keep it on absolutely on stick do not mm-hmm. if you can unless you have like a budget a big budget for it do not be handheld do not even on steadicam mm-hmm. yeah. yeah have it locked off You have to have it locked off. No, I'm
2: definitely, which goes to my next question about shot list. And you brought that up is really prep that shot list. And I'm taking note of like what I need to have static, but it is a, it is a big task. And I love Ryan Little's advice on, on how he kind of broke his down. So I kind of wanted to ask you the same, um, if you have any helpful tips on how, to best break down a shot list, anything that you personally love. I love that Ryan, Ryan really focuses on transitions and kind of like the main critical yeah. thing. And
0: I totally still I just saw that when I listened to him. I was like, Ryan, why haven't you told me yeah, that it's before? It's so That's good. <laughs> it is,
2: it's given me Such a little piece yeah. and then I'm going to go to my DP and my um my associate director and have them kind of look at then the little bits that we can help fill in because mm-hmm. just at the start with everything else it's just pretty overwhelming i'm not gonna lie guys oh yeah it's a lot i
0: find i, I find just my limited experience you do shot lists as a mental exercise for yourself and your DP, if you're lucky enough to be able to like sit down with them. And I, my poor DP on on tour, and we were in this like little hotel 30 miles outside of Atlanta on Sundays, I would be like, hi, can you come meet me to do our shot list? And he's like, I don't like shot list. And I'm like, well, they want them. And so they would want them. And then we would have to throw them out, you know, because like schedules would change and the, the you know location oh. we were in, we couldn't do exactly what we thought always. But it's a really good mental exercise. And I like to do it where and this is how I write my scripts too I'm a very big meditator and I literally go into the scene um seeing it as if I'm watching the movie mm-hmm. and I go around the room and I know what I'm supposed to feel and I think okay what well, could be interesting how can I see the scene in different ways and so I literally explore it from like a 360 degree angle um with the scene yeah. running in my head mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I try to see if I can come up with one interesting, innovative way, you know, shot in a scene. Um, I try to think of because our schedules, I mean, we shot a 165 page script in 25 shooting days, it was yeah. mental. <gasps> um yeah with huge, you know, huge number of casts and locations We're doing something some
2: mental too, but, <laughs> not, not that, <laughs> but not that, not that not mental, but some <laughs> would though. argue that our shot, yeah, our shoot days are kind of tight and we're like, yep, <laughs> we know, it'll <That'll> be fun.
0: <laughs> you know, you have to kind of just trust your creative, yeah. your creative either. I, I always find that, um, you know, for peace of mind, shot lists, throw away. If you, um, I have overheads are very helpful. Mm-hmm. So actually doing the overheads where you see where the camera placement is, if you can, you, you know, your location. So you map out and then, you know, how the camera's being moved around. Mm -hmm. And so then you can create an efficient way to move the camera around. So you only need to do like one lighting change or something, Mm -hmm. Um, you know? And so as kind of as Ryan said, you, you, you come up with your wish list, and then you try to, you know, whittle it down and then, yes, you're, you're most, the most important moments for me especially when it comes to the wicked trilogy and like fantasy and serving the books and these fans, every shot, every, every frame of, of what I shoot, has to, or that I use in the movie has to have a bit of magic or a moment in it. And I say magic, just something that makes you go, oh, it's pretty or moving or something,
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know,
0: where like, if I have a frame that doesn't do anything for me, I am the one running in. The art director's like, "Stop! You can't do that." I'm like, "I got to move things around. I got to create. Like, I need magic." Yeah, um, I'm really big on on having something. I don't want to waste anybody's time just, you know, seeing a, a bad wall with somebody talking. Um, you know, I have <laughs> no, to come up I with something that. where,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, you
0: know, magic or a moment. Yeah. You know, or it's a moment between two right. people, or someone you know within themselves, mm-hmm. sort of coming to a realization or having having a moment. Yeah. Um, overheads are just, are, are what's great to fall back to. Mm-hmm. So you can have your shot list. Um, but if you actually have the map of the room drawn and you see where the camera can be and you see sort of what your lens choice, what you think you want often changes, um, yeah. you know, I, and then yeah. I do like to mix it up with getting in handheld a bit, uh, yeah. you know, using different and yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, what do you want? the audience to right. feel and who's your, who's your camera, you know, like is your camera a character? Right. My camera in um, both the movies is a curious Brownie from the other world. And so I have it very curious, always kind of searching yeah. and like being inquisitive. So I like to sort of um, embody uh, the cameras sort of with organic characteristics.
1: Yeah. I love that. And I, I, you can like, you can tell even if it's a subconscious reaction when people do that, you know, when like, because you know, that's the simple things that like they do teach you in film school and film books and whatever of like, you know, if you're shooting at this like lower angle, then it's making this person look more powerful and stuff like that. But then giving it a whole like life of its own, because if you have, you know, a handheld and it looks like it's following this person and sneaking around and your first thought is, oh, wait, like, is this another person that's spot? Like, is it the character? But then even if it isn't, you still get that that emotion, you know, from just the way the camera is working.
2: Tessa, I don't know if I've yep, told I you before, but do you know who the character in our, what our character is for our camera?
1: Like what the camera is, <laughs> yeah. if, if it's a character? No, tell me.
2: <laughs> um, it's not a full on character, I would say, um, because I, it just wouldn't gel with kind of the style we're going for. but. I, I call it surveillance. Like if there was a mm. character type, it's surveilling these two, it's, it's like, like technology always watching you. So it's mm-hmm. a very like watchful, but not disruptive of, mm-hmm. of, of the action. So that's big kind brother. of like, a <laughs> lot of big brother, a lot of like, you know, hiding in the, cor- like not hide. yeah. Kind of like just watching in the corner kind of shots that's what I'm trying to figure out with the apartment that we end up with like where Mm -hmm. am I like where are my corner shots to kind of surveillance the two our two women in the in the apartment interacting and and sometimes yeah very still which will help with static shots of just like letting the characters kind of enter on their own then maybe just moving right. in and like playing with that and but you saying that kind of i love i never thought about it so hard till just now like that connection just clicked i'm like yeah that's what it is it's this yeah. kind of still character in the back surveilling what's going on
0: well it's an it could be an algorithm that's learning. So it's not acting upon what it's learning yet. It's just amassing data because that's what we do for, you know, to build AIs is we, we have to give it mass amounts of data.
2: Yeah. Um, and love so, that. so you know,
0: also funny. you could have, yeah. you know, an algorithm that is able to jump jump to different screens or cameras. So you could even utilize like, what does it look like if it's like a, an iPhone camera, you know, a little surveillance camera, which would have a lower res. So it would be like just a 720, (laughs) you know, res, so a little bit, you know, fuzzy versus like a camera via vis-a-vis something else that's like uber high def or something.
2: I love that. And I'm definitely going mm-hmm. to take, I, I've never heard of the overheads quite that way. And I think, again, when we nail our apartment, I'm definitely trying to see if we can print out some sort of map,
1: <laughs> like start,
2: because yeah. that'll definitely be really helpful to know too, where like we can't pass this, you know, point mm-hmm. and, yep. and all of that focus. And I also wanted to loop back to, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Um, and you, you just mentioned it. Torn, I want to talk about Torn. So you were mentioning it as you were like saying how you've had to painfully try and do the shot list with your DP on that. But let's yeah. talk about that project. Um, I know it's it's out and yeah, I want to introduce our audience so they can they can go see it and celebrate oh. it. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, torn is the sequel to Wicked and that's part of a trilogy, a book called The Wicked Trilogy by Jennifer Trout, who's an incredible fantasy author. Um, it has sort of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a really cool um, female heroine who uh, hunts evil Fae from the other world. Mm-hmm. And she falls in love with like the sort of the, as a lot of romance novels are, <laughs> sort of like the, the misunderstood bad boy, um, but then becomes sort of embroiled in, in a larger story uh, of like her bloodline and who she really is and and her connection sort of to the, the Fae of the other world. Um, and so uh, Wicked was shot on location in New Orleans where the book takes place, uh, and that came out May of 2021, and we shot the sequel to it, Torn, um, in outside of Atlanta uh, a year ago, starting now. Wow. Um, so I was in prep February, and we shot March and April, and it was released in November of 2022, and same cast, plus more. Uh, and it was, it was a, it was a wild ride. It was, a, a, it was supposed to initially be a five episode series, the, the length, but then it was, um, turned back into just a full feature and we premiered it in Atlanta, um, at the end of October. And yeah, I'm really proud of it. It was, it was a lot to do. Um, but I was highly involved in, in all of post as, as sort of our post team is very, is small but mighty. And so mm-hmm. I was sort of involved in everything <laughs> and lots and lots of VFX uh, and yeah, I'm proud of it. So it's, it's playing on Passionflix which is a streaming service that just focuses on book to um, screen adaptations. So mm-hmm. all these books have are really successful romance novels. My series is the only one that's um, sort of paranormal action-y okay. fantasy um, though they did just option a very famous vampire series um, which is great. Uh, so that's like a subscription service, but then they also have a channel on Amazon. So you can subscribe on Amazon and the fan community of passion flicks is so incredible. Um, the romance genre gets shortchanged all the time Mm -hmm. and to see this fan base properly served, uh, is so wonderful. And they are the most supportive fans. I can't even tell you, I mean, having sort of been in the sci-fi fantasy like Comic Con world for a long time, mm. and seeing sort of how toxic some fan bases can be, yeah. uh, this has just been a pure delight. Um, every they uh, there's Passionflix founding members um, who sort of joined the the community early, and they come to set and they come to the premiere, and they're like so supportive, and it's just, they're lovely. That's so amazing. I feel really lucky to have been a part of um, of the community, even if you know romance generally wasn't sort of my genre but everyone loves a good romance story especially when it's you know fantasy and i would love to be able to do a sci-fi romance or an eco you know climate romance or something
2: well i see that for you absolutely it's definitely there because (laughs) yeah just like in our film it's it's definitely questioning tech advancements right and all that stuff that's going on but we're incorporating like you know, a, a relationship matter in there. And so I, I definitely see that yeah. happening. You can definitely find some sort of romance. I mean, I loved her. I know that was more sad, but it's like, well,
0: my, my show sure from live her was the template. Um, I mean, like the aesthetic of it, that's one of my I favorite films. love
2: her and definitely the world that's, we tried to, you know, it's not that far from the future. Mm-hmm. Like we can totally imagine it just like label mm-hmm. today so yeah definitely was a template for our world as well oh my gosh i want to see Yay. i want to see your, your short yeah. yeah oh it's 11 minutes it's on oh my website okay, i'm gonna Perfect. i'm gonna look for it i was go okay. i was peeping around was looking at reels and i wanted to see i saw yeah torn stuff there for sure and lots of vfx that's why i was like oh i'm gonna ask her about some vfx because <laughs> there's vfx yeah, in no, every I, I shot it. <laughs> it looked like yeah and like complicated stuff like yeah yeah. And, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah I, I learned a lot. I love, and I love, you know, as long as it's additive to the story, you know, as we were talking about before of like, does it serve the project? I'm like, does it serve the story? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does, I don't want to do something just for the sake of, of doing I, something. Yeah, I mean, love I love something that's that. badass and cool, but it's in the service of the story. I yeah.
2: love and respect that so much. I think that's just candidly saying, like my distaste for certain sci-fi has been because I just feel like it's a lot of... Cool, yeah. effects and I'm like, all right, but where's the story? What do I want to care about? Um, so yeah. I really love and respect that, and my my that's why her is like one of my favorite films for sure. I feel like it just really gets gets you to the root of of the emotion and the story and the love and the journey there. So, no, I'm I'm love that you care about that, and <laughs> it, it it comes through. It definitely comes through in your work. Yeah, um, thank yeah. you. And something else I want to touch on too
1: before we wrap up a little bit more is to go a little bit more into Sirens. Um, is it you? You've expressed like what the kind of goal and message of Sirens is, but is it more of a like collective for people to support each other, or more of like you're bringing people together to put out projects directly from Sirens? If that question makes sense.
0: No, that's that's a good question and it kind of reflects we we're, we're at an inflection point of like we wish we could clone ourselves mm-hmm. tomorrow and my and I my my main partner um to be able to focus on sirens full time. um initially, when it was started, it was kind of more of a collective of like let's just have like a bunch of of um you know female actresses who love science and let's just see sort of how this community could grow. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of formulated more into a team where we're like, Oh, let's develop properties that have science and women in science, women in STEM elements to them. Let's do social media outreach. You know, we did a lot of panels at different, you know, Comic-Con type conventions, sort of where science and entertainment were, were um, merging. Mm -hmm. We've worked with the science and entertainment exchange. So now, because the directing got very busy and my partner, my main partner, Tamara, she's um, a very, very busy writer host. She does a lot of work for Marvel. We're just trying to focus in right now on just um, the climate storytelling. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have social media outreach just generally for science news and sort of that convergence of science and entertainment. And so and we try to be amplifiers and cheerleaders Mm -hmm. for science um, personalities uh, on social media. Uh We try to like, you know, see if we can share them to new audiences that normally wouldn't have been exposed to them. Um, So we try to do that a lot. And then we do still have a few projects that we're sort of developing on the side that would be, you know, traditional TV series. We had a podcast that we did, I'm sorry, a a web series that we did actually during the pandemic. um, That was, uh, we had started doing this. This was with our other partner, Gia. We started doing um, a meetup over Zoom because we could never get together in real life. Mm -hmm. And we would basically just catch up and we would nerd out about all these different sort of science stories and science news and tech stuff. And we realized we're like, Well, this is kind of interesting because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're basically talking from a a layman's perspective about interesting technological and scientific advancements. We're not talking about it as experts. We're talking about it as enthusiasts. So why don't we like record over Zoom and, uh, you know, our conversations and each bring in a specific article to surprise the other person and discuss and we'd have things up on slides Mm -hmm. and just get enthusiastic about stuff. Um, and then yeah. linked to the, you know, link to all the articles and we had like a little cute intro and stuff, It was a little time consuming, but during the pandemic, it was great. Yeah. I mean, we ended up releasing, I think 10 or 12 episodes. Um, it would have turned into like more of a full-time job. And we we're like, Oh, I don't think that, you know, we're going to do that. And, and Gia ended up, um, going off, like, she's still a really close friend of ours, but she, um, is working for tree hugger and is a full-time writer and singer and producer. So yeah, so we're still all, we're all we're you to ladies stick are doing
2: amazing things. It's just keeping you you know, busy. <laughs> yeah. But
0: yeah. And yeah. I, I love I it's something that I don't want to let go because I know that ultimately it will be a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um I want it to be an arm of I, I just incorporated um Last year, my own company. And so I would love for this to be like a nonprofit offshoot of it, that ultimately, I would love to be able to um, offer scholarships to underserved communities for, you know, for STEM and STEAM, you know, incorporating arts into it. I feel feel like the convergence of art and science is so
1: important. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a big passion of mine.
1: That's really exciting. And like, I wish you all the luck and, and patience and strength and all the things that you, to oh, go into that. You. But like, that's amazing. And I really hope that that happens like soon for you. I know it will happen, but, um, this is just, yeah. It, yeah, it's necessary. It's, it's definitely needed
2: in this world. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Our universe
0: is pretty cool <laughs> Get down to it, you
2: know, yeah. it's not a bad place. <laughs> <laughs> aliens won't well, frequent it, you know. Yeah, right. I know, you know. I
0: know. I was like, I was gonna take a break from Twitter, and then I was like, I keep seeing reading the news about things being shot, unidentified things being shot down. I'm like, oh, aliens are here. Maybe I should just jump back on Twitter.
2: <laughs> and see what's going on? I'm here
1: for it. I'm here to hear about the alien news. I'm here for the abductions. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs>
2: So you would
0: definitely be though, abducted. Of course, like my very logical science brain is like, no, it's absolutely not aliens. And my like fantastical imagination is like, it's aliens.
2: But anyways, oh my gosh, Taryn, thank you for taking the time. Where can our audience um, follow along and support you and give love to you and the work you're doing because it's fantastic and we're here for it.
0: Thank you, Karen. um They can find me primarily on, well, my website is Taryn, my name. My name is every is like all my handles in my website. So it's Taryn O'Neill, T-A-R-Y-N-O-N-E-I-L-L and dot com. And so that's my Twitter handle, my Instagram handle. I'm thinking of starting a sub stack, the futurist filmmaker. <laughs> um, I need to kind of clone myself to do this, but uh, I'm just really passionate about sharing sort of, and commenting on sort of the future of, of Hollywood and how it ties into sort of all my loves of of science and tech. But that's really influencing, you know, Hollywood. Mm, yes. So I'm really interested in virtual production and um VR and AR, you know, like what mm. is storytelling going to be like on these new immersive platforms? Yeah. So, you know, and I feel like it's just an important conversation to be having, especially as a female. Mm. I mean, usually sci-fi and science and tech, it's usually, you know, is driven by the male view and the male voice. And so I'd like to sort of be a female perspective on that.
1: I love that. Figure out
0: how we can make, you know, those communities more inclusive as well. Yeah. And we, that's, that's what I'm hoping to do. Yeah.
1: And that's what we're all about too with Femme Regard. Like, so we fully support you in that, like anything that we can do to support you, please let us know. Like, we're happy to just, Spread the word, you know, share any projects, all of that always. Conversations, honestly.
2: Like, we've learned through, especially throughout the, just, again, the rapid growth of tech, how, like, things you can't be shy to explore what the new opportunities are, especially when it's giving you as a woman in the industry, a chance to feel empowered and like get in those rooms and have those conversations. And we can be really shy. I know I can, I don't, I don't know all the tech talk, but I, I do try to stay informed. So like, Talking to someone like you, who might even know just a bit more than than I do on on a certain you know new VR tech thing, it's just like great to have those conversations. Even though I know that I speak in layman's terms all the time (laughs) in the show, and it's I don't care. I'm here for it. I want to learn. I want to grow. And that's Mm -hmm. just like you know what we're about here. So if anyone else feels, we always tell if you feel overwhelmed right now, that is fine. That is normal. That is me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But we're here yes for-
0: I always say get comfortable in the discomfort yeah. because you know when you are when, especially when you're a filmmaker heading into production yes every day yeah. you know there's that new little feeling and you're like oh my gosh yeah. um but you just have to sort of breathe into it and embrace it and you know what you ladies are doing having had this podcast for a while going into your first movie huge kudos to you both thank you so much
2: we really appreciate <laughs> you Yes.
0: Yay. This was fun. Let's do it again sometime. Yes.
2: yes. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yay.
1: Yes. When we say stay in touch, it's not just the business yes, side yeah. of like, like, also let's stay in touch as human beings.
0: <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. I'm trying to, yes, build more of a female, uh, female filmmaker community around me. Perfect. I'll just try to get into one more. So I,
1: I love that we, that Ryan introduced us. Yes. Me too. He is excellent, Chase. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Femme Regard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals.
2: We can only grow with your support. So please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the FemFam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at femregard.com.